Welcome to the ministry of Mercy Seat Ministries and evangelist Pat and Karen Jackson. We believe that the message you are about to hear will mightily change your life. Open your heart, mind, and spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. We must declare it to the next generation. I want to talk to you, leaders and champions, about the pit. Now, they all look the same. All looks the same, but it's not the same. Because one can bring death, one can bring life, uh, one can operate as both. You, 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 a grave can operate, according to Jesus, as a resurrection moment, too. And so you've got to watch these things, and I think that we instinctively, when we step into ministry, uh, it is important. As all of you are going to be changing the world. Remember what I told you earlier. That is that I don't see you where you're at right now. I see you giving me a call saying, Pastor, we had five students saved last night in our youth ministry. We had 5,000 saved. If you get a phone call from a former student named Andrew Kobe, who's with Reinhardt. You know, it's amazing. But both are just as important. And so uh, God began to speak to me of this series even last summer, doing it with our students that I didn't have time because of camps, and I got through just part of it one afternoon, and I remember it was South Texas camp. We had to look for a place to meet, and, and um, God rescued you from the grave. One of the things that we forget when we go into ministry that we are rescued, and if you don't continually understand that you are rescued, if you don't continually understand, uh, I, when you look at Holocaust people, they can walk up to you and show you on their wrist their number. That number represents they were in hell, but they're still alive today because they were tattooed with a number. And that number, whenever it came up, that meant they went to the death chamber. Their number never came up. So they are tattooed with a story. They're tattooed with a, with a moment. All of us have been rescued and, and set free from things. But I'm going to be honest with you as I talk to you guys. This is for people in ministry. The spirit of this age is winning right now because there is a spirit that has been dispatched from hell to make those that are in ministry react and act like the world that they're trying to win. So if I just become a little bit more like the world, I'm, I'm not compromising my convictions. Instead, I'm becoming all things to all people, and that is a lie from the enemy. You know, I've got to turn my youth ministry into a nightclub, and we've got to offer an open bar. That's actually happening. <laughs> and so we can all discuss theology. Well, theology will kill a person. I believe in theology, but it'll kill a person because most theologians don't even know Christ. They are studiers. The Bible has become a history book instead of part that, uh, that uh, understanding that the Bible created history. Are you getting in that? And so, and uh, 70%, I heard this uh, a couple days ago. I was watching some Christian television, and Josh McDowell said 70% of ministers look at pornography. Now, now, I'm real careful when I throw a statistic like that at you because you'll remember that statistic more than anything else I'll say. And five years from now, when you're full-time ministry, you go, well, I'm just part of the 70%. It's okay. Never let a statistic be an excuse to lose. Are you getting what I'm saying? It should make you mad than conform. In other words, well, you know what? I can do it. 70% do it. No, that means 70% of ministers, youth ministers, may not get to hang out with their kids in heaven. You get what I'm saying? 
And again, I'm talking about the pits, the graves, and the wells of ministry. And we don't do this a lot because it's changed the world, fill up stadiums, all those things that we love talking about. And we love seeing the outpouring of God. But there's some things that I must give you warning about because I don't really want you to hang in this thing if you somehow along the way could possibly embarrass the name of Jesus. I don't care if you embarrass me. I don't care if you embarrass the school. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Because my reputation will speak for itself. My integrity, when, when, when truth is sm- uh, smashed to the ground, it rises undaunted. I, I'm reminded of the, the girl out there that started a website. Basically, it's uh, ex-Masters Commission, cult Masters Commission member or something like that. And she is gay. And, man, she just hammers uh, my friend Lloyd Ziegler. She hammers people all the time. And you know what? I never see Lloyd respond to it because he doesn't have to. But follow me for a second. Colossians 1.13 through 14 says this. God rescued us from dead-end alleys, dark dungeons. He set us in the kingdom of the Son. He loves so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. Don't you love that? When you get saved, it's supposed to break the habits. <laughs> you know, and uh, you, you heard me say earlier today that I want to do a series on repetitive repentance disorder because it's in the church. We just repent, repent, repent. When actually we're not repenting, we're just asking forgiveness. Repentance means to look and run the other direction. I'm never doing that again. And Psalms 34, 17, is anyone crying out for help? God is listening, ready to rescue you. Psalms 30, verse 2, God, my God, I yelled for help, and you put me together. God pulled you out of the grave, gave me another chance at life when I was down and out. So you're seeing pits and graves. God continually uses pits and graves. The rescued understand they must return rescue. If you truly have an encounter with God, you're not called to be normal. And if you're still trying to figure out whether or not you're called, you're probably in the wrong room right now. We'll talk to you at a retreat or a conference. Because if you're in this room, you figured out somewhere along the way, you've got the tattoo where you should have been in the furnace. And somewhere along the way, your number was never called. And so therefore, you must go pull somebody else out of the line. And rescue them. And so what you got to, you know, some actually take the command more seriously that many are called but few are chosen. And the word uh, chosen there is yuho uh, in, the, in the, uh, the Greek there. And basically it means that everybody can feel called. But only a few said yes. Only a few say, I'll do this thing without complaining, without whining, without. Listen, you've got to, if you're going to step into ministry and if we're going to run together, you've got to make up your mind that there's no second best. There's not, there's not an alternative. Somebody, people used to say to me all the time, hey, uh, so what are you taking in college? Uh, so you got something to fall back on. Well, I don't plan on falling. Uh, there's nothing to fall back on. I don't plan on falling. And if his call is not enough, his love is. And on your worst day, knowing that he called you should be enough. I don't, I don't have a choice. I, I well, what about the economy? And boy, the evangelists, boy, they're having a tough time. Okay. Well, I'm not worried about it. Because I grew up in a house where when we sat down at a table and prayed for food, somebody would knock on our door and bring us food. So I don't have time to play the, the little social games of the call of God. Well, there's always Starbucks. Well, cool. Go do that. But what you got to understand is I don't have the right to think in that sphere. 
I'm called. That door is, has, has always been open, and I'm called. And, you know, James 5.19, my dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back, and you'll have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. I love this verse. Our goal, if you're going to be a youth pastor, prevent the epidemic of wandering away from God. That should keep you awake at night. That his love is so huge and so massive that, that why would somebody leave him? Why would somebody walk away from him? Why would somebody? And there's an excitement that is overwhelming you when you realize God can use you. Your nights are filled with dreams of, of packed out houses of people you can preach to and, and, and encounters from him and lives being held. But your life is also awesome. What I told you the other day when I'm walking through my kitchen, I ran into him. Because without ministry, I'm okay. But the true sign of someone called to do ministry is that they live a life overwhelmed with a deep desire to be a transformer. It's just bigger than you. But, and Karen's about to help me, there are pits and there are graves waiting on you. Remember, you were not a threat till you said yes. See, some of you, you don't get it. You were not a threat until you said yes. At the moment you said yes, Devils that would walk by you normally now turn on you. At the moment you said yes, all of a sudden this radar went off in hell that said, okay, okay. And if the devil ain't messing with you, it's because he's going to let you big enough that he can bring you down hard. So if he's coming against you, you need to praise God. That's why Paul said, I glory in tribulation because tribulation works with patience. And what you got to understand is until you can glory in tribulation, you're really not a threat. Till you can dance where you should be dying, you're not a threat. Till you can literally say, you know what? And boy, I fail this test all the time. Dude, I think it was Sunday. My, my flight got canceled, and I was mad. Oh, I was mad. I was so angry. And I, I, I said to Karen, we're sitting there on the phone. It's Sunday afternoon, and it, 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 to me, it wasn't the, the best weekend we could have ever had. And um, I said to her, I said, I said, you know, uh, this fast is coming. And, and then she dives in and gets all spiritual. And she goes, you know, I think this fast is really about us. It's not about doors opening and miracles and supernatural finances and signs and wonders. It's really about us. We got to get some things right. And I said, okay, bye. Because <laughs> I needed to walk through what she just said because it ticked me off. Because she was right. And then we went on a, a texting barrage. She's texting back and forth with me. And she was the voice of reason when I was having a bad day. And I had had a bad week. And isn't it amazing? The, your, our greatest day of ministry, our greatest week of ministry, in, in a lot of ways that God opened so many doors, launched the book, was a tough week. And then I, I got home that night and I'm sitting on the couch or sitting in my chair and I looked at her and I said, you're right. And it ticks me off. This fast needs to be about us. See, the minute you stop growing as a leader or as a Christian, even let's just say Christian, you start dying. But let me give number one to you of, of the, the, the pits, the wells, and the graves of ministry because I want to speak this to you. And um, number one, always remember in ministry, never forget this. You should put this on your bedroom door, your bathroom mirror, and your office door. God, God will always rescue you. It's number one. Not people, 
Not a job, not a paycheck. God will always rescue. Look what it says in 2 Peter 2.9. So God knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials. And he knows how to hold the feet of the wicked to the fire until judgment day. God says, we'll just focus on part A of that verse. So God knows how to rescue the godly from, the evil, from evil trials. The problem is most of us get so wrapped up in our trial and we treat it like some TV show. Let's find evidence. Let's do this. And we're looking for a prosecutor. God says right there, I'll rescue you from the trial. I'll make it where you never even have to go into the courtroom. I'm your lawyer. I'm your paraclete. I'm your counselor. The, the very name of the Holy Spirit is paraclete, which means counselor, one who argues on your behalf. And so you got to understand that God says, I can keep you from even going into the courtroom. That's why that whole scripture, you know, that really cool scripture, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It never said there wouldn't be weapons. It just, went, it just said there won't be bullets in the weapon. It can't prosper. It can't finish. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so what I'm learning is, um, I'm reminded of, of, of the power of humility and the power of understanding who you are. If you always remember you're a donkey tied to the post waiting on him to ride in on. When Jesus said, hey, disciples, go pick. There's two colts that have never been written. Two donkeys that have never been written. Go, ridden. Go tell the owner that I need him. That's what God did <laughs> when he went to your parents and said, I know you want them to go to university, but they're supposed to go to school of ministry because I want to ride in on them because you know why? That donkey never thought. He, that donkey never thought. As they're throwing the palm branches in front of Jesus, they never thought. And Jesus rode a donkey because if he rode a white horse, it would have meant he was declaring his majesty and it meant war. So you know what he did? He rode a, a servant's mule. And until you understand that you're a donkey tied to a post waiting to be ridden on, that donkey never once thought, look at them. They are throwing palm branches at my feet. No, that donkey understood, I'm bringing the one in. They're throwing palm branches at his feet. That donkey understood. Donkey, (laughs) Shrek, donkey. That donkey never once thought. He just did his job. Are you getting what I'm saying? And the minute you start thinking the moon and the sun bow to you is the moment you've forgotten who shaped you. And God says, you realize that I can rescue you? If I can call you, I can rescue you. So the question you got to ask is, those of you who don't feel like you can be rescued at times, are you really called? Because God says, I'm the one that brought you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Christianity and the call of God is supposed to be fun. So if somewhere along the line before you got to this school, you thought it was for martyrdom, you've messed up. And again, we're doing a whole series that we're going to begin to teach this term called the pits, the wells, and the graves of ministry. I don't know how long this will last. There's not going to be an ending point to it because our goal is to content, is to give you the things that you need to know about ministry. That's why you're here. Now you can do your Berean or you can do your school of urban missions. You can do all that, but we're going to give you life stuff. Is that okay? So here in this first chapel of, of, of the term, 400 students here and around the world, I want you to listen to me and understand, number two, never lose your respect and fear for God. And I'm going to have Karen do three and four, so hold on. But look what it says right here in Psalms 33, verse 18. And again, never lose your respect and fear for God. At the moment, God just becomes your buddy in ministry or your partner in ministry. I, I need you to understand, he won't put up with sharing the limelight. That's why he tells me all the time, Pat, just open the curtain and let me on stage. You be a stagehand. Look what it says right here. Psalms 33, 18. Watch this. God's eye is on those who respect him. Isn't that cool? So the minute, the minute you take this, this Christian walk thing as, hey, you know, God can't do it without me, almost like we're partners. 
And, and understand something. If you work for God, you'll burn out. If you work with God, you won't. But the minute you lose respect for the king, that somehow you're owed a check when you preach. And I, I mean, I, I, I mean, this is how we survive is love offerings and stuff. But I've had to really evaluate. This fasting is making me evaluate, okay, how am I reacting to people? Because I have to trust him. And Karen continually reminds me of that. But look what it says right here. Watch this. God's eye is on those who respect him. The ones who are looking for his love. He's ready to come to the rescue in bad times. In lean times. Uh-oh. In lean times, he keeps body and soul together. That means times when you're hurting financially. If you'll respect him. He says, I got your back. Look, this is in Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of God is a spring of living water. So you won't go off drinking from poison wells. <laughs> Don't you love There's graves, pits, wells, what I'm preaching on. That's what I'm teaching on. You love that right there? Look at that. The fear of God is a spring of living water. So you won't go off drinking from poison wells. The minute you, this is so much in this scripture, this verse right here. The minute, and again, never lose your respect and fear of God. The minute you lose your fear of God is the minute you will start looking at pornography is the minute you just let your mind wander. Because when you have a fear of God, goodness, it's like you know he's standing there with you. It's no, You know we're walking together. So why would I go look at junk and garbage if he's sitting in the same room? Are you with me? Because I've made up my mind. Jamie saw an email that I sent to a guy that's working with us on our Twitter accounts and stuff because of the book. Something popped up on my, on my, my Twitter a couple days ago, and it ticked me off. I can only see it from a distance, but I could tell it's something I didn't want to look at. And we wrote him an e- I wrote him an email, didn't I? I said, get this. I'm done. Because something popped up. Because I don't ever want anything to take my, my re- honor of him. Okay, ready? And my honor of her. Nobody has that right. Nobody gets these eyes. Nobody gets your eyes. There's a, there's a spouse, there's a woman, there's a man out there waiting on you right now. But if you don't fear the Lord right now, you'll settle for those that don't fear the Lord. Are you getting what I'm saying? And if you have every right to demand the best, if you are giving him your best, you have every right to say, wait a minute, I'm called in a ministry. I can't. Now, that doesn't mean you don't, you don't marry somebody with scars. But instead, you marry somebody that that probably has scars because this generation, remember the face of the new face of royalty, the Mephibosheths that God's raising up. But what you have to understand is you have every right to demand that the person you marry someday at least comes to your level of discernment and your level of passion, your level of fear of God. Well, what, what does that mean? I'm, I'll be, I'll be single the rest of my life. Well, good because singleness may keep you from the pain that you would have bought into. So when you're running up to Pastor Karen and I at a conference and going, hey, you know, we, we got married five years ago. You did the wedding, but she just doesn't want to be in ministry anymore. I had a youth pastor this morning, this morning, and I got to be careful what I say, whose wife just doesn't want to be in ministry anymore. And now she doesn't want to be married. And this guy's a good friend. Listen to me. You better ask the Lord. If you live in holy fear of God, it will help you avoid those that don't fear him. Because you can see it. You can see people that are just careless with their tongue and careless what they watch. And Oh, that's legalism. No, 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 no. It's fear of God. 
but can I go see it? Pastor, we want to go to an R-rated movie, but it's just violence. And, and what do you think? If you have to ask me and not check with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit tells you it's fine, go, see you. But at some point in your mature walk, you have to begin to respect the Holy Spirit and ask him before you ask anybody else. Are you getting what I'm saying? Again, we're just dealing with the, the graves, the pits, and the wells of ministry. There's so much to it. But Jesus said, I'll be a spring of water to you. I'll keep, uh, in other words, I'll keep you from ever thirsting again. That's what his word says right here. He literally said, I will keep you from thirsting. And, and now watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this, because I want you to get this. And, and then number three is Karen. Well, and I just want to touch on the respect factor a little bit, too, because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you know, in our culture, you have one of two things. You have the world who anything goes and all of that, or you have now people in the Christian sector, you know, talking about just God is love. God is love. He just loves everybody. He just loves everything. And we have, you know, people out there who are saying, no. We've reduced God down to a Cupid. Yeah, and we're in that there's no responsibility. You can do whatever you want, and God just loves you. Love wins. No, truth wins. The Word of God wins. Yes, God loves you, and He's always going to be there. You can't get away from His love, but you can choose not to love Him and everything. And there is consequences for our actions. And so there's so many people out there in Christian world who are telling people God is just about love. He's not about consequences. He's not about this. He's not about that. No. You see, there were times when I was growing up when my flesh was weak, I still had the fear of what my mom and dad would do that kept me from doing things when maybe my flesh was weak and wanted to go do things. Because I was scared I was going to get my backside tore up because my parents believed in spanking. And so I remember, I, and this is a little embarrassing to say, but I remember I got my backside tore up at 16 years old for something that I did. And so at 16, because my parents were not afraid to discipline, and I thought what twice... A flip-flop. <laughs> so, but, you know, I never did what I did to cause that ever again. And so, but what I'm saying is we are living in a world. We're either in the world side that we say, you know, you can do whatever. You're your own God. So many times that we come to this place where we feel like if we're called into ministry, somehow we're on God's level. You know, that somehow now we're above the law. That we can do things in the name of religion, in the name of being called. That we don't have to live by the same rules and everything that regular Christians live by. That it's covered because we're ministering and we're touching lives every day. Can I tell you that that is so far from the truth? Because you were called, because you accepted the call, you now live under a stricter rule of law because everything you do impacts those that are looking for answers. And so there is a stricter law for you. Don't ask God for a great anointing. Don't ask God to use you mightily. If he can't trust you with the message and that you're not going to pervert the message, please don't ask him because he's trusting you. Go ahead. Because it's his love that brings us to repentance. But once we repent, there's responsibility now to live according to what he's called to li- us to live by. And so we have to walk in that, walk in faith in that respect. The Bible says that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And you can't walk in wisdom until you truly fear And what that word fear means is to have a reverence for him, to have an awe of him, that I wouldn't do anything to disrespect him. 
because I love him and I honor who he is, that he is the one true God. So the beginning of fear, there is a healthy fear. You know, I want my children to fear in a way, you know, doing something they're not supposed to do because they know they're going to get disciplined. I don't want them to fear me that they think I would hurt them. So there's a difference. God says that he wants us to fear him. So anyway, I just wanted to touch on that with respect. But number three is realize God is all, God always has your back. God is for you, not against you. He always has your back. He's looking out for you. He wants the best for you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be, you know, to be promoted. He wants all of those things for you. Lamentations 355 says, I called out your name, O God, called from the bottom of the pit. You listened when I called out. Don't shut your ears. Get me out of here. Save me. You came close when I called, and you said it's going to be all right. You see, there's not one of us in here who have not been in the pit. We all started out in the pit before we got saved, before we got called into ministry. But when we called out to him out of that place of submission, out of that place of humility, out of that place of realizing that we don't have it all together, that we can't do it all on our own, that we're nothing without him, he reaches down and without bringing up your past, without saying, but you did this, I'm only going to bring you halfway out of the pit, without saying, but you've done too much. God just reaches in and pulls you right up out of the pit because he is for you. All he's waiting for is for you to recognize that he is the one who can rescue you. That's all he's waiting for. He's got his hand down the entire time, but you just have to turn around and take hold of it. See, God is for us. He's not waiting. We live in such a a place that, you know, we get so distorted with that fear of God that we think he's just waiting with a belt or with a a paddle or with a, a sledgehammer ready to whack us on the head just because we make mistakes. But instead, God says, no, I'm gonna let you walk out the consequences of that, but I'm always right there. And I've got my hand out saying, but I'm never going to let you get too far away where you get hurt or you get injured. He says, I love you so much that I have to let you see the consequences of those actions, but I'm always going to rescue you out of it so that you know, no matter how far you get, no matter how far you go, there's always him standing right there with his arms wide open. It's the, it's the prodigal son. He allowed the prodigal to experience the consequences of what he did. But then he had his arms open for him when he decided to turn around and recognize who he was. And so, number four, is there anything you wanted to add to that? I'll just add this. And that God creates boundaries for a reason. And usually it's the gut check. And God loves you enough to expose you. A lot of times we think that with God, because Hebrews 11 says he's a disciplining father and he really is, and it's one of the things I said in that interview a couple of days If he loves us so much, why does he discipline? Well, I wouldn't love my children, if, like Karen just said, if I didn't discipline them. Uh, last night, Abby said something. And, uh, kind of, I heard it. I was upstairs. She kind of smarted off without thinking. Karen came around the corner and said, excuse me. And before Karen got it out of her wor- a mouth, she was going, Abby's going, I'm sorry. I don't, it just came out. Well, God loves you enough to stop and say, excuse me. Am I not enough? And boundaries are created in our life by the Holy Spirit. Somebody in this room, you might be able to, to, to go and uh, watch a certain thing or do a certain thing. But I love what Nate had to do. Nate would walk into his dorm room, and these other guys, they were watching this one, uh, Anar- uh, Sons of Anarchy. And 
he finally the guy said, hey, I'm sorry, guys. You're not even watching this in my room no more. I can't watch this. Because he said to them, I've got boundaries. Not that he was perfect or not that, that anything else. But he said, hey, I'm not watching this. And yet then I see a well-known national youth speaker get up and tweet how much he loves Sons of Anarchy. And it shows scan. It shows all kinds of stuff. You know what? I'm sorry at that moment for that youth guy that's really cool right now, real popular. He literally said to those students, not come up to where I'm at, what I talked to you about earlier, that when I talk to you, I want you to come up where I'm at. He said, come down to where I'm at. In fact, I'm going to go below your level because your parents may not even say it's okay. Guys, listen, with the call of God comes a responsibility and accountability to not only his words, but it's justice. Uh, go ahead, number four. And, you know, just to touch on that a, a little bit more is that, you know, I love my children enough to discipline them because I know by disciplining them now, it will save them from greater pain later. Because if I allow certain actions to go undisciplined, they will create habits and behaviors in my children's lives that are going to cause them more problems down the road. And so God, you know, all the rules and everything, all the limits that he has on our lives aren't to punish us, aren't to to keep us from having fun, they're to keep us from pain. And so that's why, you know, that goes right in with that respect. But number four is remember your words, define your future. In ministry, and this is a big one because you know so many times it's so easy to be negative, to be to be critical, to be you know even jealous of other people's ministry and everything. And the words we say now will define our future ministry. Matthew twelve thirty four says, "You have minds like a snake pit. How do you suppose what you say is worth anything when you are so foul minded?" I love that. Say it's your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. A good person produces good deeds and words season after season. An evil person is a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvations, but words can also be your damnation. You will watch your dreams burn up if you do not watch the words that you say. Because, you know, if you see someone you know, ministering on TV, you know, Pat talks about a certain evangelist that was on TV and, you know, being, you know, saying, why, you know, is that really real? You know, years and years and years ago. And, but God brought to him just a worship and to praise him for what happened on that stage and everything. It's about, you know, so many times we can, we can allow our words speaking negatively, speaking, you know, against other people, the things that we don't know or understand and everything. It's about, you know, and also being careful that we're speaking truth, that we're, you know, it's so easy sometimes to, to get up and to minister and to, to stretch something out to make something seem more interesting. Or so, Why isn't truth interesting enough? Why can't you just tell the truth about what God does and everything? But, about watching our words. You know, I was reading the scripture the other day, and there was a scripture. I can't, I've got it on my phone. I can't uh, think of it right now, but it was talking about careless talk and careless chatter and not to get involved in that, or else the more godly you become, the more you get involved in godless chatter. Let me dive in in on this because it's so good. Uh, I wonder where I would be right now in ministry if I just shut up. Cindy Jacobs called me one night. And said, hey, I was looking through your book. I just saw you wrote something about so-and-so. 
And yes, they were wrong, but that's a father of the faith. Do you really want to put that in the paper? And we were about to go to print. And Cindy, Cindy, who's a mom to me in a lot of ways, says to me, I just want you to think about that. I saw that. The Lord took me to it, and I want to protect you. Because I don't want to close a door that that person you wrote about could open for you. I wonder how many of us in the houses here at this school keep every time we just run our mouth, we set our ministry back six months. We stop. You know, Karen was about to read the scripture. I'll, I'll read it if that's okay. In James chapter 3, it only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. How many of you ever heard my message, uh, the devil's chat room? Who has not heard it? That's required listening to by Monday. It will change your life. I stole it from Glenn Berto, the concept. I saw him do it at Planet Shakers in Australia, and then I said, I'm taking that. Um, and there's, I've got actually a whole series on the tongue, but, but one of the things the Lord spoke to me even about this fast for me that we're on is you're getting loose with your tongue. You're just getting loose with your tongue. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you bring up another minister to me in this school and you speak negative about him, I will not even respond to you. I will simply about face walk away. Even if they are a plight on the ministry, you know why? Because it's careless. And look what he goes on to say. It only takes a spark. Remember, so a careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. I wonder how many youth pastors are running 35 or 40, and they're kind of content with it. But God had dreams of them running three or 4,000. But they ran their mouth. And he just had to say, I'm sorry. I can't use you because I can't trust you. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation. Sin, this is James 3, 5 through 6 in the message. Send the whole world up in smoke and go and smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. Your dreams can burn up. And you don't even realize it. And I, I think that sometimes we say such stupid stuff. To get a rise out of somebody, a reaction of somebody. And we don't even realize we're actually harming ourselves. Like if we were cutting our skin with a knife. And God says, I'm not going to trust you with my prophetic word. If you always speak pathetic word. I can't trust you with the prophetic when you live in the pathetic. God says, I want to use you, but you just never shut up. And every time I get ready to use you, I'm I'm not going to put. Yeah, look, what what does the Bible say? What does light have to do with darkness? Can they can they live in harmony? It's the same thing. He's not going to put the honey of the prophetic on your tongue. When you live in the vinegar of death. Vinegar repels flies. Honey draws flies in. What I'm trying to say to you is. That's why you've heard that. Your name is like honey. on my, You know why, where that comes from? That whole term. Your name is like honey on my lips. The Jews. When they're teaching their children. Who Yahshua is. Every time they said his name. When they were growing up as children. They would put honey on their lips. To teach them the sweetness of God. And yet when you drink vinegar, and I just drank some vinegar today. I drank some apple cider vinegar, and I just turned it up real quick in the bottle because I was in a hurry. And I was like, but I do it. But now what's so funny is I drink honey and vinegar every morning because both are actually good for you. But what I'm trying to get across to you is, is guys, who are you repelling and what are you not propelling? 
Who are you keeping away? I can always tell when new students come in and they don't know how to shut up. Because my older students that have been here a while just kind of go to the other side of the house from them. They really do. They'll see them in the room. They're, you know, they're playing video games. They're talking trash, whatever they're doing. And, and they're riding with them. And they're like, really? Did you just say that while you were driving? Are you that foolish? And there's something inside of the mature students that join, that have been with us a while where they just kind of go automatically, I'm not getting close to you. Because, A, if you'll say that about them, you'll say it about me. And, you know, knives cut both ways. And, and, um, and that's why the Hebrews says about God's word. Why does, it, why does God's word say it's a double-edged sword? Why does it say that? It means it cuts as it comes into you. The Bible says it leaves you naked. But then as you send it back out, it cuts. And the problem is, what, what we're trying to get across to you is some of you, every time you run your stupid mouths, you are limiting the creator who created the world. You get off the phone with your parents, blah, 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 blah. And you'll say something, and yet then you'll go and pray, Lord, save them. And you're, he's going, well, which one do you want me to do, kill them or save them? Because the power of life, Proverbs eighteen twenty one, is in the tongue. That's why I've, I told our leadership this term. We will speak life to everyone every day. Every day. Every day we're going to speak life to each other. You got what I'm saying? We speak life. And you know what? But I don't say stuff, Pastor. I'm very quiet. I've read your text. I read your tweets. Some of you need to understand the tongue can be in the tweet or in the Facebook post or whatever. Quit being stupid. Don't embarrass Jesus. Think it through. Ask yourself before you say something. Gosh, if there's not an alarm system in you that goes off when you start to say something, then you are going to be tough to be married to because you're going to hurt them. And I can tell you, I used to not have the alarm system. Now I do. I just go, boy, I shouldn't say that. You got what I'm saying? And if God has to go, excuse me, then you better start listening to him because he's got dreams for you. He's got plans for you. And he's trying to get across. I'll give you the most powerful sermons if you can give me the most powerful respect with your tongue. You got what I'm saying? Okay, and this is it. I'm going to close on this, but uh, are you done? Okay, number five, lust. And again, this is a long series, so don't think you're going to get it all in one day. But I want to take you on a journey. I want to create a CD series uh, for those going in the ministry with the basics of ministry, and that's what we're doing today. We're starting this. This is part one, the pits, the graves, and the wells of ministry. And we're going to talk about the good things of God. Of God. But, man, I just really feel like we're having to hit some tough stuff. Lust, number five, is always around the corner from the chosen. Always around the corner. No, it's, Pastor, it's right beside me. No, it's around the corner. It means you have to turn into it. Corner means there's a turn. You're going to have to make a decision to take that path. I mean, you really are. And, and so I'm amazed at how in this generation we're afraid to talk about lust because we don't want anybody to feel bad. And yet Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, Matthew chapter 5, beatitude promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. If you'll just read the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over, it'll change the way you act. Because Jesus, in one sermon, laid out the character of a Christian. And that's Matthew chapter 5. And so watch what it says right here. You have to, put, you have to, you have to guard from the trap of self-indulgence. When you are in ministry, it's very easy to try to live in two worlds. 
It's very easy to try to think you have the right because you did ministry. Something is owed to you. Follow me. Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Anytime you lust after anything, you've just climbed off his cross onto theirs. You're stealing what doesn't belong to you. And there's one thief that says, I just remember me in your kingdom. That was a person that was choosing to give back what he had stolen. And the other one that, went, that mocked Christ. When you choose to lust and try to take what is not yours, whether it's looking on a screen at something, living in some imaginary world, it's all stealing. You're taking what doesn't belong to you. And it's actually one of the Ten Commandments. Remember those things that nobody likes to talk about? Oh, those were back then. No, no, no. There's a reason why God wrote a tablet. Moses went down, got angry at the people, broke them. God's the only, uh, Moses is the only person that ever broke all Ten Commandments at one moment. Because the Bible says he slams them on the ground and breaks them. Goes back up and God says, well, let me get my pen back out for you there, temper man. Because, by the way, your temper eventually is going to keep you out of the promised land. But now watch. Second Peter chapter 2. I love this because in the Message Bible, they call it, or I think it's Message Bible, but predators on the prowl. God is especially incensed against these teachers who live by lust, addicted to a filthy existence. It means God gets more, he's incensed by it. Addicted to filthy existence. They despise interference from true authority, preferring to indulge in self-rule. Welcome to America. Insolent egotist. They don't hesitate to speak evil against the most splendid of creatures. Even angels, their superiors in every way, wouldn't think of throwing their weight around like that, trying to slander others before God. So this is a combination. God's talking about the tongue. He's talking about lust. Can I say something? Can I just say this very clearly? Never pursue or never use your authority to pursue what isn't yours. If God elevates you to a position, you better be careful. Because sometimes I think we think it's a key to take what's not ours. And you will fall. And anyone that manipulates to gain from others, and I'm talking about as a youth pastor, as a pastor, as an evangelist, as whatever, you think you have the right to go and talk down to someone. Let me tell you something. I'm trying to say it right. The moment you accept the call of God, and I'm not sure all of you have accepted it yet because I, I can't feel it completely. But the moment you accept the call of God, you would never, ever misuse that authority to harm someone. A guy, a girl to seduce somebody. And so the Bible's speaking against this. Who do you think you are? It says you incense God. Now Watch. Never pursue authority, but never use your authority to pursue what is yours. Proverbs 5, verse 3. The lips of a seductive woman are so sweet. Her soft words are so smooth. But it won't be long before she's gravel in your mouth, a pain in your gut, a wound in your heart. Fellas, listen to this. She's dancing down the primrose path to death. She's headed straight for hell and taking you with her. She hasn't a clue about real life, about who she is or where she's going. You know, this is talking about those that walk, that really Proverbs 5, 6, 7 is all about walking in wisdom. And those that don't walk in wisdom, the Bible basically speaks as a prostitute. And, but this is a really powerful verse because I've heard lately of people that have walked away th- from their families. Literally somebody that was here at the evangelism conference that we held, for those that want to be an evangelist, that 
a week later, walked away from his wife and children and moved in with a woman. Somebody was here. And he's blind. He's blind right now. Won't take my calls. Won't take Jeremy Donovan's call. Won't take anybody's call. He's blind. And I'm going, my God. But there was a prophetic word that was given in that room right out there by Jeremy Donovan. It says, one of you in here is playing with death. But she'll lead you right down that path. Or he'll lead you down that path. You know. What I'm trying to say to you is lust is always around the corner from the chosen. The enemy will try to take you out. You want to speak to that? Yeah, because and it also doesn't just have to do with that, you know, sexual lust or anything. It has to do with a lust for, you know, to be seen, a lust for power, a lust for, you know, all of those things. You know, there's so many areas in our lives that we lust after and everything. But what we don't understand is every time you know, just what Pat had said, there is a corner there. Lust doesn't jump out and startle you. You have to choose. It's always around the corner. But we determine whether we turn that direction or not. We determine, you know, there, you know, just like when he said, you know, those things were popping up on his Twitter account. That was a corner. But instead of going, oh, well, what is that? You know, I mean, no, I, you know, I'm going to flee from that. Because none of us are above temptation. None of us are above, you know, the enemy attacking us. You never reach a pinnacle where the enemy goes, oh, well, they're just too great now. I mean, let's don't even bother them. No. The more you draw close to God, the closer you draw to him, the more the enemy sends out an all-out attack on your life. So if you think suddenly I'm going to get to this place where I'm not faced with lust or I'm not faced with temptations or I'm not faced with all these distractions, then you're going backwards. You're not going forward. You see, because the enemy has got a bullseye on your back and that bullseye gets stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger the closer you get to God. And so you have to consciously be making a conscious decision in your prayer time, in warfare, in all of those spiritual warfare that you are not going to turn that corner. It has to be always there knowing that you are one corner away from just being another statistic. And you are deciding not to turn that corner. And I'll end it with this. If you don't love you, you can't love anybody else. Read Ephesians 5. And if you don't love you, you will do anything you can to to try to fill that void. And you'll sin against your own body. And secret sin will come up. Masturbation will begin. All those different things. And you've got to understand something. Because I, 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 it's so wild. Because God put these crazy desires inside of you for the opposite sex. And there's nothing wrong with that. Except when it becomes stealing. And if you're not married, it's stealing. There's not covenant there. And so what you have to understand is God puts these raging hormones inside of you, and we joke about it and kid about it, but it's real. And what you got to ask yourself is, am I going to be like Esau and sell my birthright for a pot of soup? Brother comes out from hunting, and his lust is so overwhelmed for a bowl of soup that he gave up his birthright to be first in line. For a moment of a bowl of soup, he had spent three days hunting, caught nothing, the Bible says, and sold his birthright 
to seduction because he was stupid. Now, fact of the matter is, we, we, we'd love to give you that football coach pep talk. You can do it. Not all of you are going to make it. Some of you will be great. Some of you won't. I'm not going to do that to you because I don't ever want to put the thought in your mind, well, I'll just be the one that's not great. But I'm going to be straight up with you. No one will protect you but you. And you can, hey, you can fool me. And you can fool the people you work for. But there's going to come a point where God goes, I got to tell them about you now to protect them. I always tell you rejection is protection. So sometimes you might, you might, you know, Tracy Kennedy, who just left us, just graduated, got rejected over a job position that I was trying to set up for him and got rejected, I think, yesterday or so or this morning. And, uh, and I can tell him, hey, I think it's protection. Just hold on because there's other places. But then there's other times where God may get, may reject, you may get rejected to protect them. Because God knows there's somebody in that church who's going to go into hell because you couldn't control your flesh. He knows all things. He knows your ending from your beginning. Here's what I want to say to you. My goal and Karen's, Pastor Karen's goal is, gosh, for you to start dreaming big. But we also understand that every oak tree starts with a seed. And our goal is to just germinate a seed this morning and get you past yourself and get you to start dreaming and get rid of your fear and loathing and all that kind of stuff. It's been raining in Birmingham for a month. We've moved to Seattle or, you know, we're in the rainforest of of Brazil. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. If, if everyone else, if you're waiting on all of us to bring joy to you in this thing called ministry, we're going to let you down. You've got to find him. Ministry. There's pits. There's wells. There's graves. You've got to ask yourself, which one are you in? Are you, are you in the well? Are you sitting at the well waiting on an encounter with Jesus? Because he's there. He'll show up at the noon hour when everybody else is sleeping. Noon hour. Yeah, that's when they all took naps. The heat of the day, Jesus went out there. He's never asleep. Israel never sleeps or slumbers. So shut your eyes across this area. We're going to end part one of the graves, the pits, and the wells of ministry. We're going to grow together. How many of you, as I shut down this teaching today, learned a little bit? Thank you for listening. We pray that this word would sit in your spirit and transform you. For more information or to become a covenant partner with Mercy Seat Ministries and Evangelist Pat Karen Chatsline, you can log on to www.mercyseatministries.com.